Amen. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Verses 13 to 16. How do we glorify God in our bodies? We are continuing this little study, looking at passages of Scripture on how you and I can bring glory to God as His people. Note here in verse number 13, please. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a basket, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray. Blessed God, we thank you for this service and for the opportunity that we will have shortly to remember your sacrifice on our behalf. O God, prepare our hearts for your table, thereby teach us, encourage us, guide us as to how we can glorify your name. For we ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 reads, For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. And we have stressed over the past couple of weeks that you and I have been created in the image of God. And the Bible teaches very clearly that we are created for God's glory. Uh, we are created for His glory. So how do we glorify God as men and women created in the image of God? We've noted the fact that a good place to begin is with the principle there in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that whatsoever you do and whatsoever you eat, do as unto the Lord. So have God's glory in view. That's a wise point of beginning I think I think that's wisdom right there have God's glory in view and whatever I do being mindful not so much will it glorify me draw attention to myself but will it glorify my God and we noted salvation we stressed the importance of you and I rejoicing in our salvation Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 rejoicing in that hope and that salvation. That brings glory to God. As I've been going through this little study, I've been asking myself the question, 
how wide does the above give glory to God? How is it that rejoicing in my salvation brings glory to God? Well, simply, as Jonah uh, spelled out in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. So, I rejoice in my salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. So, therefore, I'm rejoicing in the salvation that God can only provide. Does that make sense? So, as we consider how you and I can glorify God, we need to be asking the question, and how, why does this glorify God? We noted the principle of glorifying God by living pure and holy lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How does that glorify God? Well, God is holy and God calls us to be holy. Of course, that's going to glorify God. We noted the fact that as we endure, faint not, as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That glorifies God. How does that glorify God? Why does that glorify God? Because God endured. Jesus Christ endured the cross. And think about it, if you and I endure, we will receive crowns, will we not? And those crowns will be cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Those crowns will be worn by our Lord Jesus at his second return. Glory to God. Enduring. In our suffering, we can glorify God. How? Why? Well, Christ suffered. God calls us to suffer. And if we truly, if we are truly living a life that reflects Christ's likeness, then we will suffer. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Note here in Matthew chapter 5 this evening, we can see from this passage of Scripture, clearly spelled out in verse 16, that we can glorify God. God will be glorified in people seeing our good works. Note the end of verse 16, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now Matthew 5 to 7 records for us our Lord's longest recorded sermon. We don't know whether he preached a longer sermon than this because as John the Apostle said, much of what the Lord Jesus said and did is not recorded for us because there wouldn't be enough room, books to contain all that our Lord did. But this is the longest recorded sermon of our Lord Jesus Christ, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with eight Beatitudes from verses 1 to 12. Then from verse 16 onwards, our Lord uses two common commodities, salt and light, and he addresses the need for you and I to be ones that point people to the one and true and living God. In verse 13, Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth. Salt, salt, salt creates thirst. The disciples were to be like salt in creating a thirst for God, 
a thirst for God in which people would desire to know their God. Salt adds taste to that which is tasteless. Salt preserves, it slows down decay. You and I are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be salt in this tasteless and decaying world by pointing people to the one that can satisfy the thirst of man. Salt and light. And then in verse 14, ye are the light of the world. Light makes sight possible. Light makes sight possible. I recall when I first got these glasses, the lady said to me, light is very important. Make sure that it is well lit around where you are reading or using your glasses because that will enhance your glasses. Light is important. Light makes sight possible. The disciples were to give off the light of truth to those around them. Ye are to be the light of the world, said the Lord Jesus. With light comes energy. With light we can have clarity in direction. Jesus Christ stresses the fact that light is not to be hidden. hidden. It is not to be hindered in any way but it is to be in a prominent place in order to do its job. Nobody would light a candle and put it under a basket. That's ridiculous. That's the whole point of light is to, is to provide uh, direction. It serves a definite purpose. And Jesus Christ said that their light can have influence. Let your light so shine, verse 16 before men, that they may see your good works. And if they see your good works, what will take place? They will glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So the Lord Jesus stressed the kind of light that will cause people to bring glory to God. So here we have another means by which you and I can glorify God, by being the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. What kind of light? The light of good works. The light of good works. And verse 16 gives us a promise that in seeing your good works, men will glorify your Father which is in heaven. The light of our good works will glorify our God in heaven. It is the light of our good works that others see that will bring glory to our God. We are not saved by works, but if we are saved, our lives will have the evidence of works. Ephesians chapter 2, let's review. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, many know well, but more than that are prepared to admit would struggle with verse 10. Okay. 
Um, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for, for, we are saved for, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works, but if we are genuinely saved, there will be the evidence of that salvation by good works. And as you and I determine to be the light of the world, our good works will point men, women and children to our God in heaven. And this is the whole premise upon which the book of James is based upon. There in James chapter 2, James chapter 2. In James chapter 2 verse 26 it reads, For as the body without the spirit is dead so faith that is genuine faith so-called genuine faith without works is dead also so from verse 14 specifically of this chapter all the way down to verse number 26 the bible teaches us if there is no outward expression of faith then there is an absence of true saving faith note verse 17 even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone and within this passage of scripture james uses the example of abraham there in verse 23 he uses the example of Rahab, verse number 25, how they proved their faith by their works. They proved that, that they had faith in the one and true and living God. Abraham proved that, it, that he had faith in the one and true and living God because he was called the friend of God. He had an intimate, personal relationship with God. He knew God personally, intimately. He was referred to as a friend of God. So we see from Abraham's life the evidence of genuine faith within his relationship with God. And Rahab proved her faith by her choosing to risk her life and reputation by concealing the two spies faith without works is dead and as you and i determine to be the light of the world the bible teaches us that people will see our good works and glorify our god in heaven we will give the evidence of a, a genuine saving faith in the god of the bible so the book of james is a very practical book very practical book it's full of biblical commands that show us how we can be a light through good works 
For example, there in chapter 1, verse 27, it talks about ministering to those in need. James talks about pure religion and undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So genuine faith will reach out and minister to those in need. Genuine faith in God will determine to live a holy and godly life. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 make reference to partiality. Verse number 4 reads, Are ye not then partial in yourselves and have become judges of evil works? So the idea of non-partiality is another way by which we reflect our faith in our God. And then we go to chapter uh, 3 and from verses 5 down to verse number 12 it makes reference to the tongue and what proceeds out of the tongue. And, uh, that, and uh, James encourages us to use our tongues to bless Almighty God because from the same tongue can proceed blessing and cursing and this ought not to be. So we can give the evidence of our faith by what we say and by what we do not say. Chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. True and false wisdom, earthly wisdom, as opposed to heavenly wisdom. And we noted this at our leadership training morning, verse 17, for the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So here we have some wonderful qualities of a person that lives in accordance to heavenly wisdom. And in doing so, we will give the evidence of uh, our faith and we will uh, place the evidence of our faith by our good works before people and therefore God will be glorified. In chapter 4, the Bible uh, gives us some further principles how we can demonstrate our faith. Uh, verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible talks about being a friend of the world. If you are a friend of the world, you are the enemy of God and vice versa. Chapter 5, it talks about prayer. There in chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is any among you afflicted? Let him praise. Any merry? Let him sing psalms. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So throughout this wonderful book, 
there are commands after commands by which you and I can uh, obey and give evidence that we have genuine saving faith. And the Lord Jesus said, So let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works, plural, not work, works, plural, and thereby glorify your Father which is in heaven. Faith without works is dead. Do you possess genuine faith? Do you possess genuine faith? Is there any evidence of faith? As we would say, where's the beef? Where's the produce? You claim to know Christ, where's the evidence of that faith? That's why it really disturbs me with people that claim to be Christians and they don't darken the door of a church. They'd rather spend more time with people that are not Christians. There's a serious problem there. If I understand my Bible, because as a Christian I will love who? The brethren. That means I want to spend time with the brethren. Does your life, does my life, give the evidence of genuine faith? Can people accuse you and I of being a Christian by our works? Have you ever been accused of being a Christian? I trust you have. Have you ever had anybody say to you, now what, what's up? How do you tick? Tell me about your DNA. You're different. Why were you so honest? Why did you respond so nicely to that person that was so nasty to you? Faith without works is dead. It will be evidence will be evidence. And, and in people seeing our good works, God the Father is glorified. Let's look at one more this evening, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, this will lead us into our time around our Lord's table. Luke chapter 17, please. So in people seeing our good works, our Heavenly Father is glorified. But also note here in Luke chapter 17, from verses 11 to 19, we have the account of the healing of the ten lepers. The healing of the ten lepers. For the sake of time, let's read verses 15 to 19. It reads... And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at, the, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are the nine? Were there not ten of you cleansed? Where's the rest of your group? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. Why is he called a stranger? Because he's a Samaritan. Okay? A Samaritan to a Jew meant zilch. You've heard of zero? <laughs> zero. A Samaritan to a Jew meant zero. And Jesus said, Were there not ten of you cleansed? But where are the other nine? And how is it that only this one, who is a stranger, a Samaritan, a despised individual that has made the effort to give glory to God. Verse 19, And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So in the healing of the ten lepers, only one turned back and glorified God. And we see here a very definite connection between giving thanks and glorifying God. Can you see the connection? Can you see it? Verse 15, with a loud voice, glorified God. Verse 16, giving him thanks. Glorified God, giving him thanks. And Jesus said in verse 18, There are not found that turn, giving, giving glory to God, save this stranger. So there's a definite connection there between thankfulness and glorifying God. See, Jesus Christ, on his way to Jerusalem, as he traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, he enters a certain village, and he was asked for help from ten lepers. He heals them from a distance, sends them on their way to the priest to declare them clean. They are cleansed on the way to the priest's office. Only one man, and that one being a Samaritan, we would assume the other nine were not Samaritans. We would assume they were Jews. Would you agree with that? One stranger. So we'd assume the other nine lepers were full-blooded Jews. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan returned to the Lord Jesus and glorified him and expressed his gratitude to God for his healing. And the Lord Jesus commended his faith, for he said, Thy faith hath made thee whole, whole. So, thanksgiving, gratefulness from this Samaritan ex-leper 
gave the evidence of genuine faith. Genuine faith. How does thankfulness glorify God? Well, we see it. We see here that it is the evidence of faith in God. God as the provider and God is worthy of honour because the passage tells us that he fell at his feet, worshipped, giving him thanks. When you and I express gratitude, that means that we value what we have received. And that's a lot of our problem today, is it not? We live in a very unthankful day. We value what we have received, what we've received, but we also acknowledge the one that has provided it because we are prepared to make the effort to go back and say, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. I value what I've received. Thank you for what you've done for me. Only one out of ten was willing to do that. It is an outward expression of an inward condition. Now, I am sure that the other nine lepers that were healed were pleased to be healed. And I'm quite sure that the other nine lepers were grateful to be healed. Would you agree? I don't imagine they had the attitude, oh no, I'm healed of my leprosy. I wasn't expecting this. I'm sure all ten would have been pleased and inwardly grateful, but only one out of the ten gave the evidence of gratefulness and Jesus said that one is the one that has brought glory to my name. So we can be thankful, we can be grateful, but we are commanded to express that gratitude and this brings glory to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Bible reads, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. It is the will of God that you and I express, ex express our thankfulness, not only towards one another, but to God first and foremost. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible teaches us that thankfulness is an outward expression of being filled with the Spirit. I like to take note of those that are thankful, that express their thankfulness. 
Now, I understand that we can be thankful, but that gratitude within needs to be expressed without. And that's when God gets the glory. That's when God gets the glory. We are commanded to be thankful. This is the will of God. No need to wonder whether I should express my gratitude. It's the will of God. In everything, give thanks. And this brings glory to God. So we see God being glorified in this passage of Scripture was connected to an individual that outwardly expressed thankfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 15 it reads, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What gift? Well, the gift of eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Apostle Paul is literally saying, words cannot adequately describe what I have in this gift of eternal life. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It is beyond my ability to convey in word my thankfulness for this unspeakable gift. The gift of God which is eternal life. So we can glorify God by people seeing our good works. We can glorify God by being thankful and expressing thankfulness. And as we prepare our hearts for our Lord's table this evening, I thought about the, the blessing of remembrance. To remember gives you and I an opportunity to be thankful. Now, I know there's the negative, but let's not worry about that for this evening. For Jesus said, do this in memory, in remembrance of me. And during this first communion service for 2024, as we remember what Christ has done for us, may it Cause us to be thankful. Cause us to be thankful. The Lord's table is a time of remembrance. The Lord's table is a thanksgiving ordinance. Baptism is a, an identifying ordinance where we identify with Christ. We publicly declare our 
faith in Christ and to walk in newness of life. But when I think of our Lord's table, I'm mindful that it's a thanksgiving ordinance. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this bread, drink this fruit of the vine in remembrance of me. To what end that you and I might be thankful and glorify our God, which is in heaven.